Friday night on the Fan Pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The Fan, big stage tonight for the PWHL Big Apple tonight. A rematch of the inaugural game that was on New Year's Day, New York versus Toronto. That's up on Sportsnet at 7 p.m. Very big night for them. I'm excited to watch on our network. Followed by Raps versus Kings. They're going for a 3-0 post-OG era. Also a pizza party on the line if they win this one. So stakes couldn't be higher. That's, is this the first time, too, that the this pizza is, party's been on the line? It's Yes, I believe it is the first time they could capture the pizza party promised by head coach Darko Ryakovich. That's 10 p.m. on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan only three games in the NHL tonight. We've got Bedard versus Hughes, a little a youth bowl tonight. Sportsnet 1 at 8 p.m. at Chicago at New Jersey. We're going to have Frank Saravelli join us in a moment. Sirit Soe at around 6.30 to talk about tonight's Raptors game. We're getting some rumors, of course. Pascal Siakam, of course, always in the news. Tim Bontemps had an ESPN piece up saying that the Knicks continue to search the market. The Raptors will, too. League sources expecting that maybe Toronto would move on from the two-time All-Star forward Pascal Siakam before the trade deadlines. We'll get into that with Sirit. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for tonight's game against the Kings. Of course, the chance to light the beam is something that gets you excited every time mm-hmm. there's an opportunity, uh, even against the Raptors. But yeah, we haven't really gotten to talk about the trade too much because we've been waiting for uh, tonight's game and teeing up tonight's game. Um, but it seems like the Kings might be the perfect chance to see it uh, and enjoy it and experience the Emmanuel Clickley mm-hmm. and R.J. Barrett uh, introductions, even though they've they've got two games under their belt because it could just be a showcase of offense. It should be a showcase of players that can score the basketball. And, and the great thing about this trade for the Raptors is, yeah, they gave up a little bit on defense, a, a potential, potential defensive juggernaut, excuse me, in OG and an OB. But R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly can score the basketball. Mm-hmm. And against a team like the uh, Sacramento Kings, it could be a great opportunity to see exactly what they got. It's a, a long road trip for the Toronto Raptors, but what we've seen so far of Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett has been really exciting. Like, I think there's a reinvigoration for the fan base. Of course, things were a little bit uh, tenuous, maybe, waiting to figure out which direction they would go, waiting to see, you know, is Darko Ryakovic doing what is needed from this Raptors team? But since they've had these two new faces, I felt like I've had a new... I don't know, joy watching the Raptors. Maybe it's the more offensive approach. Maybe it's the fact that they've won a couple games. But it seems like, and maybe for what is always hard to to judge right away, but both teams might have won this trade, which is Mm -hmm. always a rare thing. But both teams undefeated since they've gotten their new players and their new pieces. So it's been enjoyable to watch the Raptors. Um, We'll continue teeing that up around 630 with Sirit. But let's bring in Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com. Frank, uh, you are a very special man in the hockey world today in the top 100 of most influential and powerful hockey names. So I'm just honored to be in your presence. How are you? I'm good. I, I got downgraded this year. I went from 93 to 100. What so I happened, guess I'm not Frank? I, I don't know 99 people <laughs> more powerful and influential than you, Frank. I, oh, I don't buy it no. at all. That's crazy. Right. It's crazy that I'm even on the list. <laughs> we were trying to predict the rest of the list, but uh, I don't think we'll be making an appearance, but we're happy hey, that you are. <laughs> I, look, I, I also, I know this is a family show, but I need to gloat for a second if you don't mind. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, let's start sorry, with that. Sorry, I just had to get that out of the way. Well, let's get it out of the way then. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> Team USA champions at the World Juniors. We just witnessed it. I wonder, though, like broader picture, are we entering the golden era of USA hockey when you look at what's up? up to come with the international competition, maybe a World Cup. And I'm not feeling as confident in the Canadian boys right now. Yeah, I think that's sort of what the rest of Canada is realizing. And it's not really just this one tournament. It's that 20 years ago today, 
the U.S. won their first ever world junior gold. And they've now have six in that 20 year span. So there's been this ramp up to this point, but we haven't had a true best on best competition in so long to really have the, you know, the, the size up the check with the rest of, uh, you know, Canada and the rest of the world that that part has been tough for everyone to figure out just where exactly is USA hockey. It's changed so much. And the stars that are impacting the game, whether it's Austin Matthews or the Kachuk brothers or look on defense and, and certainly the significant advantage that the U.S. would have over Canada and goal, that everyone south of the border here is just kind of chomping at the bit to be able to just have that test again, hopefully as soon as next February with this four-team, four-country international event that the NHL is putting on. Oh, we got to get our heads straight north of the border here. Like, we, we, why are we cowering in fear? Why are we worried about this? Like, I understand there's a very talented side north of the border. The best hockey player in the world, last time I checked Canadian. Mm. Best defenseman in the world, last I checked Canadian. Uh, I still think the Canadians are pumping out first overall draft picks with regularity. I think we're going to be okay. We need someone to stop think, the pucks, like, Justin. Yeah, it's a real team that they're going to have to deal with in the United States. But really, are we? is it that much of an advantage in your eyes, Frank, that, that the United States has? No, but what I'm saying is that it's it hasn't really been a conversation to this point. Mm -hmm. 2010, you get to the gold medal game. The U.S. had a real opportunity to win and have a you know crazy upset on Canadian soil. Didn't happen. We're searching here since 1980 for Olympic gold, and it hasn't really ever been a question before as to what the supreme hockey nation is. My only point is that it's becoming a question as to what that will look like moving forward. And just by pure math, I think everyone in Canada understands with the players available in the U S that it should change the balance of power. At some point we've been building to this point. I, I agree. Canada still Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Connor Bedard, like go through the list. It's incredibly impressive. Kale McCarr. Um, but it's going to be a tournament for the first time. No, it just underscores how desperate we are for it. We need it. Uh, it has <laughs> to happen, and, and I don't know about you, Frank. I don't know if you're feeling more and more encouraged about it. I mean, Luke Tardif did speak today. He was uh, pretty happy about the fact that he was able to say that everyone was at the same table with regards to 2026 uh, participation. Are plans crystallizing here for the NHL and for the IIHF and for the IOC? Like, are, are we seeing and are you seeing and are you confident that you're going to see uh, some pretty regular international best on best uh, on the horizon here. Very confident. Luke Tardif also confident today in saying that he believes they'll have an agreement by the end of February. And, you know, these two sides, or I guess you should say four sides, if you include uh, the IHF, the IOC, the NHL, the NHLPA, they've been speaking the same language for a while now. And I think they were probably on track or on path in Beijing before things happened with the pandemic that just made it a non-starter. So uh, it's the most interesting thing from Luke Tardif and his press conference today was him saying that it'll probably encompass the next two Olympics. So 2026 and 2030, which a lot of people seem to, if I'm not mistaken, seem to think that it would be potentially on North American soil. So um, that might even change the you know the conversation even further in the NHL's benefit to have it be in a time zone that makes sense for them. Uh, we had the guts to send a little homework to the 100th most powerful person <laughs> in hockey in Frank Saravelli. Uh, in the top 100. Uh, we, were <laughs> we were debating the most, uh, or the defining story of the NHL season uh, a little bit in the newsroom before. Uh, is there a defining story in the NHL this year for you, Frank? Yeah, there is. It's goaltending. 
You guys are experiencing it in Toronto right now with Ilya Samsonov and what happens next. He's got a pretty decently sized cap hit for the rest of the year, most of which is buried right now uh, and still counting on the cap. And just look around the league, whether it's Edmonton or some other market, New Jersey, that doesn't have goaltending and that really needs it. I think we're going to see we've we've started to see the ripple effects of that already this year with some teams sort of gasping for air. But I think we're experiencing right now a huge change, uh, both in dynamics of dollars with how teams view goaltending and what they might be willing to spend on it. And Toronto just happens to be the epicenter for the other part of this as well, which is a push and pull between the modern style of goaltending that has taken over in the NHL and the sort of, you know, more classic style of goaltending or an old school style that we've seen from some other netminders. Joe wall is the poster child for how a goalie should be playing in 2024. His you know, mechanics, every part of his game. And I think the big reason why you've seen him have a leg up this season is because of the way that he plays. And it's no coincidence to me that Joey Decord in Seattle, what you're seeing from him uh, these last few weeks on his hot run, you've seen Joel Hofer grab the net at times in St. Louis and run with it. These guys are all part of that sort of different stylistic trend that I think allows them in the goalie world to try and grab back the significant advantage that uh, shooters have had on them for the last five, six years. The tables at some point, that balance of power is going to turn. It was, you know, equipment and then way that they played for so long, defensive structure. The game has changed and evolved over these last 10 years. So while all that's happening, you're also going to see teams that don't want to pay goaltenders quite as much. Look at the LA Kings and what they're spending and what they're getting from Cam Talbot. Look at the Leafs right now. If you have Martin Jones and Joe Wall as the two guys that the Leafs are going to be running with for a while, you're looking at $1.6 million in total salary cap expenditure for net minding that opens up a whole different world of possibilities potentially for the Leafs to spend to finally improve their blue line coupled with the John Klingberg dollars. So Mm. that to me, it's a long-winded way of saying the most important position in the sport is going to become even more important over the next six months to a year as teams adjust to all these changes. And last time I checked, the league-wide goal uh, save percentage is probably one of the lowest in the last decade that we've seen. I had it at 9.03 last time I checked. So uh, not a uh, not a great, not a glowing year for some goaltenders, but there are some having like the re- reemergence, like Jonathan Quick, who's come out of nowhere and had uh, a pretty great start to his season. We're talking to Frank Cervelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Um, okay, if we're talking money and we're talking salary, we got to talk William Nylander. Uh, I wonder for you what your... Your thoughts are on what could be the de- defining factors or the variables to where William Nylander's contract might land. And we're hearing it could be soon, and we're hearing that maybe his father has a hand in it. I wonder for you what you're hearing in the William Nylander contract. Well, the family part of it is certainly real. I mean, you, you know, Michael Nylander has certainly at times driven a hard line, just go back to his career and the way that some things unfolded or happened. Um, and he has a sort of, I think, idea in mind of what is suitable or acceptable for his kids and, and, and make no mistake. Like there's a huge part of that in terms of who represents William Nylander as well in Lewis gross and, and the hard line that he has drawn at times. So uh, I think that part um, has really been prevalent here. I think the big, I don't even know if you want to call it a change. Cause I don't, I don't think there's been much of one, but the Leafs priority in terms of what they do next, what order they do things in, 
they've prioritized getting William Nylander done before anything else so that they can get all their ducks in a row. And I think that's really smart. But I also think that when you take a step back and you consider the really special season that William Nylander has had, he is, I think, sixth today in league scoring. And he's the Leafs, not unquestioned, but he's the Leafs' most valuable player this year. Last year, he was 20th in scoring. And the number that a lot of people were thinking heading into this season was maybe hopefully somewhere south of 10 million bucks. If it is truly north of $11 million and it's 11.25 or 11.5, whatever it is, all of a sudden that vaults him into the top five in NHL in salary cap hits. And my only question is, Will William Nylander, and those numbers are going to be surpassed at some point, but for a five-year span, if you're talking an eight-year deal, will he get, Will you get top five production from him? And that, to me, I think is a real question. As special as this year has been, as good as he looked last year, he's just vaulting himself into a different stratosphere in terms of pay if those truly are what the numbers, you know, what we expect them to be. And I think it's a real fair question to ask. Yeah, and, and when, like, obviously there's going to be some benefit to locking him in and seeing what it might look like four, five, six, seven years down the line. Can that benefit you because the salary cap's in that space? But I think one of the things that might burn the Maple Leafs over this generation is that you just can't get the timelines right where this money at this time complicates matters. And if they're entering into an $11, plus, $11 million plus uh, dollar partnership, I mean, the next two, three years could be affected negatively where you're still uh, sort of working around the edges and having to shop in the bargain bin. And I don't know if there's a lot of relief coming with John Tavares. I don't know what his next contract is going to look like, uh, but it's still going to be the same problem that persists in terms of paying the same guys a lot of money unless the salary cap uh, exceeds our expectations. Well, I, at some point it it probably will. and And I don't really see it the way that you do from how we're looking at the Leafs cap structure moving forward, because let's just say hypothetically it's easier this way that he comes in at 11, five. Well, 11, five, he makes just under seven now. So if we're thinking the salary cap is going to increase by four and a half million bucks, which is what the MOU calls for. You're basically handing all of your salary cap increase this summer to Nylander. But at the same time, you still have some flexibility because you still have the Domi and Bertuzzi contracts. Brody comes off the books. Yes, you need to figure out your goaltending. Yes, you still need to figure out your defense. But there's still some money to play with. And you kind of have to grin and bear it for one year with John Tavares at 11. Then my guess is he's probably stepping back into the 6 or $7 million range. And if you can get him on a hometown discount to stay in Toronto, that would make sense in that sort of range. Not all that dissimilar to the deal that Andre Kopitar signed in LA. So let's pencil, you know, Tavares in at six and I'm just spitballing here, but then you can start to see it with another $5 million increase. That's 10 plus whatever the other UFAs that you have coming off the books there that there is still going to be some wiggle room for the Leafs to try and make a go at this. Is it still, is it ideal to be committing, you know, another 11 and a half or $11 million to another forward and not more properly balance this team from a salary cap perspective? Probably not. But I think what the Leafs have backed themselves into, or at least considered from their perspective is we're way better off doing this than having to go out and trying to replace William Nylander and his production. 
Yeah, I think it's fair, and and, and uh, like my points would not die, would not change. Like I am signing William Nylander. I have to get it done because he's so important to this team. It's just the way that you address everything else. And honestly, if John Tavares is doing his captainly thing, maybe it's less than $6 million. And he leans on the 100 plus million that he's already banked over the course of his career uh, to best put this team together. But I I do think that, you know, as much as the Leafs are going to get some breathing room, everybody else is getting breathing room too. And everything else is going to be competitive. And contracts are going to be more competitive and free agents and so on and so forth. And just because you get out of the current bind you have doesn't mean it's going to be easier to address Everything. Uh, let's go to the Jets before we let you go, Frank. Uh, first place in the NHL on the line tonight if they can beat the Anaheim Ducks. I, I wonder, I think we spoke about how, yeah, they're, they're, they're always a little reluctant to go all in. They're reluctant to make that big, mm-hmm. splashy move. They've had to do things out of necessity, but being really, really aggressive pre-deadline, well, that's not really in Kevin Dayoff's makeup. But if this team is legit, if this team is first overall or close to near the deadline. Are they going to see some urgency where it's like, we got something special here and we got to capitalize on it? You know, I I think we'd all like to see it. I'm not sure that it's in their DNA to be so aggressive. And now that especially you have a pretty long-term window with Hellebuck and Shifley signed and Shifley's having a great year, Hellebuck's their MVP. You're starting to see some increased production uh, from Cole Perfetti, who's been really good. And their depth has been way better with this, uh, uh, PL Dubois trade from the Kings, grabbing those three forwards. That part all has lined up. Um, I, I'm still, I don't have the Jets in my cup contender category yet. And it's a small circle. It's five, maybe six teams. And part of it is just that the West this year is going to be an absolute meat grinder. The teams that are stacked up there, get you know, getting through round one is going to be a legitimate accomplishment this year with how it's all probably going to shake out with the bracket and the matchups. And I just, you know, I think the Jets have been really one of the NHL's most consistent teams this year. But um, and I like the the scoring by committee approach, the number of double digit goal scorers that they've had, and they're a pain to play against. I just there's something about them that I don't. I don't know if it's the the sort of high end talent that I'm that I feel like they're missing, but they're just there's like a, a piece missing there that I can't quite put my finger on that I don't I don't think they're I think they're the third best team in their division regardless of whatever the standings say after tonight. Yeah, I mean I think that's fair. I, I think there's uh, something about their success is a bit unexplainable to this point, uh, but if they continue to prove it and prove it and prove it over and over again. Well, maybe they'll prove it to uh, management uh, that they might need a little bit of help or they deserve a little bit of help uh, before the deadline. We got to let you go, Frank. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Congrats uh, on and, your uh, goals. Congrats, and congrats on, <laughs> on being number 100. What I still think for Frank. <laughs> it should be at least double digits, not triple, but congrats nonetheless. Uh, Brock Purdy, he was last. Uh, I'm I'm last yeah. at 100. Mr. Brock Purdy's <laughs> about to get paid. I mean, there that'd be nice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Have a good weekend. It. You, you too. too. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's from the hockey news, by the way. That yes. ranking that we're discussing. Frank Saravelli. Frank Saravelli. Daily face-off, though. Yes. Of course. And uh, that ranking from the hockey news, top 100 most powerful power and, and influence. influence. Yeah. And that's our guy, number 100. When I think power and influence, I think of Frank Saravelli. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I didn't know that game was for first place tonight. Look at you, Justin. Go Jets go. I'm going to have to put them on my parlay later. Um, Okay, we have another big game on the network in about 40 minutes. It is New York and Toronto in the rematch of the first PWHL game. That's on Sportsnet. 
and you have tasked me with you're just giving work to everyone. Give work to Frank, give work true. to me. I'm glad to do it though. Anything PWHL, I'm glad to do. So the A list was a, a segment of ours on the Fan Morning Show, and I guess we'll bring it back in a little bit of like a power ranking segment today. A list is t- way too early, way too overreacting of the PWHL power rankings week one. There's you don't want to. You don't. You're you're a little reticent because it was homework. No, no, no. I that just, I gave to you, it, but you're a little I'm not reticent. reticent. Just to box yourself in, like you don't. You're not an overreaction type. No, I just. But I'm asking you to overreact three games after played. three games. But we've seen all three teams are all uh, six teams in three matchups. Yes. Uh, and I think just you know uh, uh, we've been talking about how much of a success it's been mm-hmm. all week. But I want to know what you saw from these mm. games that stands out and means something. So an early ranking of the six teams, I think, is very, very appropriate. And if you're branding at the A-list, uh, I mean, it gets everyone really excited. Okay. So for some context, all th- all three games this week, um, the away team won in the team's home opener. So I think there was a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of shenanigans. Everything had so much importance and so much uh, pregame media. And I think that I think the players were a little bit starstruck and that's okay because uh, that inaugural game, which we mentioned was on New Year's day reached 2.9 million Canadian viewers across the three Canadian national broadcast partners, including us, of course. So 2.9 million people watched Toronto versus New York. And again, we're going to have them later on, um, on Sportsnet. So do you want to go from six to one or one to six? I think you should start with six, actually. I think okay. that's a good idea. So, unfortunately for the Toronto fans, number six is PWHL Toronto. So, they're the only team to score zero goals uh, through their first game. They lost 4 nothing to New York, as we mentioned. But the reason that I'm giving them number six is they lacked, I think, a lot of speed. Obviously, a scoring punch. They are missing Victoria Bach until February. So, I think that will help uh, immensely. They don't have much goaltending depth. Uh, Chris Campbell is going to be their their starter all season for now, but we're going to see them again tonight. I do think that that Mattamy Athletic Center crowd was waiting with bated breath for a goal. They didn't get it, but Toronto didn't impress me as much as the other five teams in my ranking, and I think you had them similarly uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say so. It's definitely the worst performance of the six, mm. uh, but as you outlined, there, there might be just more than just a couple problems there for PWHL Toronto. Yeah. A few, That's but too this bad. is early. It's but, okay. You know, uh, we, we could see something different tonight. They have, like, PWHL Toronto might have the most star power. we got to just say Toronto, Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about Toronto ball. might have the most star power, but they didn't deliver in game one. Um, I have fifth place, Ottawa. Uh, they also lost their inaugural game. They did put up a great fight. They were leading the game against Montreal. Montreal obviously came back. Uh, that one was an overtime thriller. That was also the most attended professional women's hockey game ever, which was amazing. Uh, but... Emirates Mashmeyer has been it was there is our goal, starting goaltender. She hasn't had a starting role really. Uh, she's been kind of uh, jockeying back and forth since 2019. So I'm like, excited, excited to see her like continue to lean into that. But they're not a star power name brand team. I think they're kind of more like gritty. I think they'll work their way up. But once again, you got to have someone in the fifth place ranking. Uh, we got to roll pretty quickly through okay. it, but I will say deserve to win meter Montreal Ottawa. Which I think it was Ottawa. Okay. Oh, but you know. But you give the two points, or three points in the PWHL uh, mm-hmm. gets the ranking for Montreal. Okay, run through the. Okay, Boston quicker. in fourth. Uh, they shouldn't have much trouble scoring goals. They've got Knight, Rattray, Gable, Mueller, and Brandt, um, Soderberg, and Frankel's strongest goaltending duo in the league. 
they're the favorite on paper, and they got a young, fun roster. Uh, Montreal coming in in third here, and Renee Debienne, of course. You got uh, Marie-Philippe Pelin, and when you put her on the line with Laura Stacey, magic happens. That second line is a menace to play against. Tonight on Sportsnet, you can see my number two ranked team, which is New York, with the 4 nothing win against Toronto. First, uh, first goal ever scored in PWHL history and the first shutout ever on Monday, which was incredible. They've got lots of depth up front and maybe two of the most annoying players to play against, Abby Rock and Carpenter, who were voted in the athletics pool as the most annoying players to play against. So you don't want to play against them. And number one was Minnesota with a 3-2 win against Boston. Taylor Heise is a game changer. Nicole Hensley had 33 saves. She's an American star, but... I'm also giving them credit because they got a new head coach one week before puck drop. Okay. All right. Minnesota up top. Yeah. You're going to see them later tonight on Sportsnet Toronto and New York. That's up next. We'll be back with Sirit Soe from The Ringer. We're back on the fan pregame. Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan a little later tonight. Toronto take on Sacramento at 10 p.m. on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, help us tee that up, is Sirit Zoe from The Ringer. How's it going, Sirit? Hey, guys. How's it going? We're doing well. Uh, we're living in this new world of exciting Toronto Raptors basketball. We've been reinvigorated. We're drinking the Kool-Aid. And I guess having two new faces has really helped with that. The trade came and gone, and now we're kind of undefeated in this afterglow of having quickly and Barrett on the roster. Um, I know there's like so much to unpack when we talk about adding two new faces, but is there a little bit of a refreshed feel just without even worrying about the X's and O's that maybe this Raptors team is feeling in getting some additional faces, having different people in the locker room. Could that just do something in its own? Yeah. Oh my God. Like, isn't it fun to actually just turn on a Raptors game (laughs) and look forward to watching it? I haven't had this feeling in about a year and a half or so. Like, we've, we've been just running the same tape over and over and over again. And, you know, I've, I've watched the Raptors. I've tolerated the Raptors. I've checked in on the Raptors. Mm. But for the last two games, I've been like, what's, what's going to happen? Like, how are, how are IQ and Scotty going to play together? Who's throwing hit-ahead passes to who? How's Yacht going to look? You know, like, it's, it's just fun to think about these things. <laughs> like, you know, watching the games, like, just the reinvigorated defense. The reinvigorated defense of one Pascal Siakam, who was, uh, I, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll copy Samson Folk on this, who said that he was basically quiet quitting hmm. on, on defense. Not so much the case in the last two games. So, yeah. It's just been fun. It's just been fun. And there's something to be said of that. Yeah, it has. I mean, Ailish mentioned Kool-Aid. I, I'd argue it's more refreshing than what even Kool-Aid could, could provide. Like, it's just been <laughs> a completely different mm-hmm. uh, look and feel and just something else to get excited about. And, and for that reason, tonight's game against Sacramento, of course, uh, should be a good one and should provide uh, that refreshing feeling. Uh, what do you make, though, of the strategy here for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster? Because... You know, we've we've obviously understood for a while that trades could be coming, that something was coming down the pike. Um, but I guess many people expected, hey, you've already lost draft capital with the Acapurtle thing and, and that young back then. Uh, should you be replenishing draft picks? No, they decide to get actual players in R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. And, and I think the interesting one here is is quickly because this is an undefined player in the NBA at the moment. But just in terms of the strategy here, not going for draft picks, but trying to survive, uh, surround excuse me, uh, Scotty Barnes, with something that could become a running mate of sorts. What do you make of Masai's decision-making here and the strategy to go after live bodies instead of future ones? Well, I think it's 
this juncture in Scotty's career, it's kind of a smart move, right? If we were talking about this maybe a year ago and we we're thinking about, you know, the reported boatload of draft picks that were going to be available for OG Ananobi, and while Scotty was kind of having a sophomore slump himself, I was like, okay, yeah, like, let's just keep building. Now, though, like, Scotty is shaping into a guy where I think, like, if he, if he hits his ultimate ceiling – He's a guy who can make a couple All-NBA teams, I think, like probably be in that fight for like top five to like top 12 player in the NBA. And the season that he's having, you kind of have to start thinking about how to actually pair somebody with him who can play some games. And I mean, look, quickly, I don't think that you could have found a better match on paper. And you've already seen some things. Like just I think the one that sort of sticks out to me is in the Grizzlies game in the third quarter semi-transition play, Scotty hands it off to IQ, who hits a floater and, like, also just started to find his offensive game in that quarter. You could really see what those two could grow into together. And he's, he's really young himself. He has a lot of room to grow. Um, so I like the move. It's a bit of a hedge, but I think for whatever reason, as much as, you know, I've advocated for a full rebuild, especially after Tampa, you luck into being able to kind of tank, you get Scotty. But for whatever reason, that's just not the trajectory this franchise wants to take. This is kind of, I mean, this is kind of the best you can ask for given the circumstances Yeah, it almost, right now if we're not going to relitigate past decisions. Yeah, it's almost become got to the point where you can't tank anymore because you got Scotty Barnes and then you do squander Scotty Barnes mm-hmm. because you waste or you waited too long to make these deals. So I, I, I do think definitely successful in that and quickly and where he goes in terms of his NBA career will define how successful it is. Uh, but yeah, you're right about the partnership. It's already paying uh, dividends. There is, of course, another piece, so there's other pieces, but RJ is is the most important piece after quickly. Um, what do you make of RJ as an asset in the NBA right now with the contract and his skill set and what he can provide? Because a lot of people would argue yeah, he's kind of a negative asset because he gets paid a lot of money uh, and he's not necessarily the most efficient basketball player going. But uh, RJ with the Raptors might be different, but RJ as an asset right now in NBA circles or RJ as as an asset to the Toronto Raptors, like how do you measure that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no denying that that contract definitely raises some eyebrows, right? Like you look at Toronto, it's a team that's tried to skirt the tax. Um, he is, I mean, he's, he's got the most guaranteed money on anybody in the Raptors and he's under contract until the end of 2027. If he, you know, kind of continues on this same trajectory, doesn't, I I think we need to kind of see something happen with him, right? Like you would love to see him be able to have more consistency as a shooter that looked like he was going to have earlier in his career if he can be sort of like third year rj barrett which i think he can then then you're happy about it you know because he's still also another guy that's that's still really young i think in in new york system he does he wasn't necessarily correctly utilized i think that's kind of the that's kind of what the raptors have to be thinking with any moves that they make down the line like i'm sure we'll talk pascal siakam deals but if i'm thinking just regardless of whether you move pascal or if you make a sort of marginal move for a role player i'm thinking just you got to get a stretch big got to get a stretch big like that's going to help everybody else in the roster it's going to facilitate rj's ability to start too i also kind of wonder you know now that you know og is is gone maybe to make some room for gary trent to potentially start and maybe you bring rj off the bench i think
think that could work, especially with his playmaking ability. Uh, but yeah, I'm really curious to see where it goes. But man, like I, I, I don't know, frankly. It's he's just a guy that he could go in any direction. But um, yeah, no, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, he, he's a difficult guy to gauge. Yeah, we're hearing uh, more and more over the last couple of days, uh, even today, Tim Bontemps ESPN piece about uh, Pascal Siakam, as you mentioned, maybe being somebody that does get moved before the trade deadline. I mean, stop if you've heard this before, but uh, it is getting warmer and warmer and we're getting closer and closer. So I guess a two-prong question, if you think that the Raptors should trade Pascal Siakam and then B, and I know you just touched on a little bit of the return, what would be a proper fit for someone coming in? Like, what do they need to target? Is there someone in mind that you feel could make a good piece if the Raptors do Mm -hmm. make an opportunity happen with Pascal Siakam? Uh, On the first note, I don't, it's, it's so hard to say if they should even consider dealing him at this point. Like he has had an incredible December. He could make the all NBA team this season. He's definitely on the margins of making it. We'll see how that shakes out. If it does, then he's going to be eligible for an even bigger extension. And we'll kind of see how the Raptors feel about that, too. And he's just, you you watch these last two games, he fits really well with Barnes and quickly. Now that OG is out of the picture, it almost feels like the runway is clear for Barnes and Siakam to play together. They play so well together in transition. That was a real big staple of, you know, Barnes' rookie year, just how well those two play together and you add IQ to the mix. It's just, you know, it looks real good. And the other thing you've got to think about is we talk about the two timelines and how you got to find somebody who can develop with Scotty, Siakam being 29, but he's kind of a young 29 the first two years of his career. He spent a lot in the G League. He wasn't in the NBA until I think he was 22. So it's not like he has all of these miles on him. And he's improved every year that he's been in the NBA. And you look at the teams that want him or the teams that reportedly want him, they would kind of be doing the same thing, like pairing Tyrese Halliburton, for example, with Pascal Siakam on an age level is not that different than Scotty. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think that there needs to be any pressure to, to make a deal. I, I know you only have a month until the trade deadline, but I kind of want to take the next two weeks and see how this goes and see if, if Pascal too continues to be engaged in how those three develop together. Yeah. This is an interesting one because there's definitely a reason and a well-founded one to just keep it, keep it together because this looks like it has some potential and might be worth seeing it through but if you can pull off a similar deal where you're bringing in someone younger, that fits Scotty Barnes' timeline and uh, IQ's timeline. Well, maybe that makes sense. But to just trade Pascal Siakam for picks now seems a little disjointed based on what you did with the OG deal. So obviously it'll be fascinating to continue uh, following the rumors yeah. uh, and everything uh, that goes into the yeah. Pascal Siakam uh, storyline. Do want to ask you about yeah, Jonathan? Yeah, I do Kim- think that. If oh, they, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead, Sierra. Just, I, the last thing on on Siakam is that just because of the mistakes the Raptors have made in the past with just letting so many players walk for nothing, if you do trade for, if you do trade Siakam, I think you kind of have to make a high risk, mm. high reward type of move in order to not necessarily get all of those assets back. I don't think that's necessarily possible, but I I look at the Raptors as constructed and they obviously need more to be a real contender. So how do we turn that into more? Maybe, you know, you look at a guy like I, I, I've been looking at all the teams 
that they could deal with. And I'm like, well, who who has the highest upside who's gettable? And I kind of I like Jareth Walker in a Pacers deal, and he seems like, you know, it seems like he's just not going to get a lot of run this year, but I still think he has a lot of upside. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the framework I would look at for a Siakam deal. It's just like you obviously don't want to let him walk for nothing as you have with some of these other guys. And you also just, you know, you got, I, I think you have to start thinking long-term. I don't really, I, I would be a little disappointed if they got, if they got somebody who was a little bit more of a defined product, but didn't have high upside. Uh, an interesting story at a golden state uh, today, uh, Jonathan Kaminga basically going through the media, calling out Steve Kerr doesn't believe that Steve Kerr essentially has his best interests in mind anymore and that he can't develop into the player that he thinks he can become uh, mm-hmm. under Steve Kerr. Uh, in your mind, given what you know about the situation, I mean, this is a power play, but was this like a, a well-founded, reasonable power play on the side of Kaminga given the relationship he has and, and the divide that seems to be there between the two? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think the Warriors have any moral leg to stand on here. Like, what lesson have they been teaching Kaminga in his third year in the NBA? It's that no matter how good you play, politics and hierarchy are always going to be more important than what you can actually provide the team. Like, this is this is a team, like, all, all Kerr has ever preached is share the ball, the ball finds energy. Well, the ball found energy through Jonathan Kaminga many a time this season that he was glued to the bench, and he's not the only one. The Warriors are losing games because of this, too. Like, there were... There was a game last month. I can't remember which one now, but you know, Moses Moody is having an incredible shooting night. Clay Thompson comes back in for him. You have last night too, where like he's not even the only guy that should be upset. If I'm Pajemski, I'm like, what? Like I, first of all, took responsibility for a loss the other night, then completely turned it around against Denver, and you throw Chris Paul into the game, and there's also just tactically that doesn't make any sense. Chris Paul can't defend anybody, and the Nuggets have a ton of size. And you're also, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Andrew Wiggins, I'm upset. I'm like, what is Dario Saric doing in this game when I'm also having a really good game as well? So, yeah, just a lot of decisions there that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, we can definitely argue about whether, you know, Kaminga should have done that. But I'm also just like, what's, at this point, what what's the point in not? I mean, the guy is extension eligible this summer. And he's done everything that you've asked him to do, and you're actively losing games. It'd be one thing if there was a lineup for the Warriors that worked and Kamingo was upset with his role, but the team was rolling, but that's not the case. So, yeah, I, I don't blame him at all. We're chatting with Sierra Zoe, uh, NBA for The Ringer. Um, I want to ask you about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, of course, because we just can't consume enough Shea content. We Every highlight, every day that we see is moving closer and closer to MVP odds. Uh, now, last time I checked, he's top three, of course. What What's the league-wide discussion? I'm trying to zoom out of the Canadian perspective, of course. Um, is he getting the same love or the amount of respect and, and dialogue that he is here in, in Canada when you talk to, like, league-wide, uh, the Shea discussion with uh, what he could do and what he has been doing this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think everybody's on the same page with Shea. He's one of the best young talents in the NBA. Not even take young out of it, right? Mm-hmm. I think... As far as the MVP discussion goes, I think it's going to be very close this year. We just watched, I mean, Jokic has missed like four shots in the last five games, an incredible buzzer beater the other night, like keeps keeps the Nuggets humming. But I think one thing that those guys have in common is just their availability and their consistency and what that allows 
the other team to do, uh, no, their uh, their teammates to do in terms of just always being able to know what their role is going to be. Um, they're just like you, you just can't say enough about it. And they are also neck and neck in terms of just how much better they make their team. And I would argue that it's actually more impressive what SGA is doing because of how much more depth the Thunder have. Like, you know, Jokic comes out of the game for the Nuggets and you're kind of like looking around. And Michael Malone is trying to get a whole bunch of young guys situated on that roster. That bench is just a different story. Whereas the Thunder have a ton, ton of depth, but Shea makes them like 12.8 uh, points for 100 possessions better, uh, which is around the same range as the Joker. But when you add in that extra context, I think SGA is just slightly more impressive. And then the other thing is just I mean, how, how often does a guy ever have a bad shooting night? And low turnovers as well. It's incredible. Like, I think the only, one of the only guards in the NBA that you can even compare in terms of usage and turnovers is Maxi. And SGA's usage is much higher. So, I mean, I can't. You, you can't even. You know, you could say so many good things about him. He's been incredible. I would say he's he's in my top three. You know, I think every day for the next three months or so it might change. Like one day it might be Joker at the top. The other day it might be Embiid. Uh, Luca's obviously up there too. And then some days it's going to be SGA. And then I think, you know, also adding on the fact that they got that blowout win against Denver, huge win against Boston too. It's just, you know, right now he's probably, he's number one for me right now. Um, maybe number two, but like, I, I, he, he's got to be in your top three right now, in my opinion. Yeah. La- uh, last one for you, Sirat. Uh, yeah, we know Shea Gilgis-Alexander is for real. And, and so far, it seems like his Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder, excuse me, are for real. But I wonder if that's a team for you that, hey, they might be competing for the one, number one seed all year long uh, in the Western mm-hmm. Conference. But do you think that's a team that will be impacted by the change from going to regular season to the playoffs? And I guess if they're fighting for a number one seed in the regular season, the mm-hmm. question is, like, are they finals worthy in your mind uh, once we get to the playoffs or will something change? I think they need to tighten their rotation a little bit. Um, I think they got to, they should always be playing shooters on the floor with SGA. They can find that internally. I wouldn't mind Isaiah Joe starting. uh, I think Casey Wallace could use a little bit more run too. He's been really promising for them. The other thing I worry about is their rebounding as well. Like if they if they made some, if they made a deal to find a way to just get a little bit more strength in their front court, I think I'd feel really really good about them because right now they have a bunch of wings that play the four, um, and that creates a lot of problems for the opposition. But you also just have a Western Conference that has just so much so much length and so much strength in their front court. So that's the only thing I really worry about with them. Um, and the other thing is they just haven't had like a lot of experience yet either. I'd be really curious to see how they do in a setting like that. Just fatigue hitting does inexperience uh, play a factor. I wouldn't make any. I wouldn't make any big moves though. You know, I would. I wouldn't. I. I wouldn't just like think let's strike while the iron is hot because they just have so much going for them and they have so many young players that are uh, d- that are still developing. And they have so much capital. I mean, they could move make that move if mm-hmm. they wanted to, but maybe uh, they'd be wise to hold on and make sure that they know uh, exactly what to go out and shop for when they're good and ready. Uh, we appreciate you coming on uh, today, Sirat. We uh, catch the work at the Ringer, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's Sirat Zoe of the Ringer. Want to do some best bets? I just want to ask, yeah, I guess that's part of it. Raptors get their pizza party after tonight? 
I'm betting against it, to be honest. Wow. You don't think they can win their third consecutive game for the first time this season? I mean, I'd like to see them do it, but uh, the Sacramento Kings are a difficult challenge. I mean, they're, the, the Raptors have been the Raptors have been f- full value mm-hmm. for their last two victories, and there's been something uh, inspiring about what they've uh, what they've done here. I was expecting a bit of a letdown in the second game because generally that like adrenaline wears off after the first one and you kind of there's at least some tape on what it looks like what the new look raptors look like but i think this is a tough spot kings are only short favorites minus Mm. four and a half i do think it's going to be a high scoring game if you take the kings plus the over it's plus 264 i think that's a pretty good bet tonight okay well my bet tonight might might need some adjusting just got the starting lineups for new york and toronto pwhl game okay what happened so Toronto obviously lost 4 nothing to New York on that home opener. A lot of excitement was going on. The building was packed. Uh, Toronto did not secure a goal against Kareem Shorter, uh, who I think will be a future Team Canada starter. I was anticipating her starting tonight. Okay. She is not. Abby Levi is starting, who um, is an amazing but young goaltender. I've never actually been able to see her play. She was a starter at Boston amazing, College. Amazing is, is good, though. Yeah, she her save percentage in her final year at Boston College was... A 947 and a 177 goals against average, and she had 30 games played. She's pretty good, and she's in the U.S. national team development program. Um, but I haven't, I, I can't hold you accountable now. But you is can't that, hold me that accountable. Is that the only change, though? Yeah, so she's going to get the start in net, um, and that's where I was mostly like riding on the high of Schroeder getting a shutout. But if you're having another good goaltender go in, makes sense. It is New York's home opener, and nobody has won their home opener yet think the tide changes so i'm still gonna ride with what i had originally wrote in our doc which was new york to beat toronto and the under but i might be just you can't hold me accountable well, the bets already I, the bets already into the, the, bets, show. the I problem mean, we, is we, we, folks we've already placed the bets before the show we've already done it but let, listen the the a-list power rating in the mm-hmm. pwhl did right have now, number two right now number two mm-hmm. uh backed by kareen schroeder uh, is new york uh, and I don't know if there's much of a... I think that there's... Is there that much of a drop-off to get down to number six, Toronto, tonight? I still think we made a good bet. Okay, Maybe the I do too. in jeopardy. Yeah. But okay. I still like New York. Uh, eventually, a home team has to win here. Yeah, and I think tonight will be... Uh, I'm going to believe it. Will be the night. That was my pre, pre-game... The pre, pre-game show bet, and I'm going to keep riding with it. So that tonight will be... Toronto, uh, Toronto to lose. So New York on the money line and the under. Because no games have gone the over yet. The goaltending is incredible in this league there's no room for error you're playing the best of the best every single night so it's been uh, goal scoring has come out of premium so let's ride with that a couple uh it's week 18 in the nfl so a couple big big football games this weekend of course none bigger than the buffalo bills and miami dolphins playing for the afc east crown buffalo might have to win just to get into the playoffs which is wild stakes. just win and you're in baby that's wild my thoughts stakes in a week 18 where you could win the division number two seed maybe be the third most likely team to go to the super bowl mm. or miss the playoffs entirely but i guess if you can't beat miami uh you don't deserve to go to the super bowl although it is in miami uh the bills are three-point favorites do you have a, a lean there <laughs> you know my lean the bills get it done no happiness edge for you no the bills get it done i was there uh I guess a week ago almost. Yeah, last Sunday. It's a blur when you're at a Bills game. And uh, I felt it. I believed it. The crowd was ready to see that AFC East Division title. They got to win it to get it. When you know that's not, and when when you know that it's in your hands, like the destiny, you just need to win a game, what's stopping you, Bills? 
what would stop them, I guess, would be a Miami team that needs to win. Not They don't need to win. They're going to the playoffs. But mm-hmm. it, there's a big difference being the number two seed and being the number five or number six even maybe uh, behind uh, the Cleveland Browns. Like that's a way mm-hmm. different upshot for Miami. So they're going to be motivated as well. I guess maybe not as motivated as Buffalo. There are a couple other games that are just winning in scenarios. And I don't think just all the teams that are need to win to get in are going to win. I actually like the Ravens this weekend. They have no reason to play mm-hmm. their starters, but they got a really good backup in Tyler Huntley. I actually like them plus three and a half hosting the Steelers. Don't let the Steelers, a division rival, get into the playoffs. I like that. I also kind of like the Titans to cover against uh, Jacksonville. So what's your, what's your weekend up. parlay here? Okay, I got Bucks winning in, minus four and a half. They're going to cover and win and beat the Carolina Panthers, go to the playoffs, win the AFC South, or NFC South, excuse me. Uh, Ravens plus three and a half. Titans plus four. So Ravens to cover against Pittsburgh. <laughs> Titans to cover against Jacksonville. Jacksonville's winning in. Pittsburgh's win and get some help. I can't. I can't notice you haven't mentioned the Buffalo Bills in this and the Bucks. I just. I can't. I got too much investment in Buffalo. All you right. know I'm on Buffalo. Okay. I got it every which way, Buffalo. Yeah. So well, that's I why need, it's gonna I happen. Trust me, I need Buffalo. I'll take everything <laughs> else out. Just give me Buffalo. Well, I hope that's what how it, how it plays out. I'd like to come back on Monday with playoff aspirations for my boys. All right. Lots on the lots on the go this weekend. Lots on the go tonight. Toronto, New York, PWHL action on Sportsnet. In about five minutes, followed by Toronto and Sacramento, 10 p.m. start. That's a nice doubleheader for your evening. Can't wait to get home, sit on my couch, enjoy some sports. While they compete for a pizza party, get out of the pizza party. I might have one. I might have one. All right, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday.